Kia ora koutou katoa, kunia walasaho, ko te tautoko i ngā mahi toi i roto i te whare hirehire taku kaupapa. Kairahi a toi ara pautama, ko taku mahi, mō putanga toi ki Aotearoa. Kia ora whanau, welcome to Art Inside, the seven-part audio series brought to you by Arts Access Aotearoa. The arts, painting, music, whakaido, dance, writing, kapahaka, theatre, connect and heal us. They help us see the world through each other's eyes. They teach us creative problem solving and innovation which we can apply to the many layers of our lives. In this series, we meet artists who teach arts to people in New Zealand prisons. We also meet former prisoners whose lives have been transformed through the arts. My name is Neil Wallace and I am the kairahi a toiara pautama mō putanga toi ki Aotearoa, the Arts and Corrections Advisor for Arts Access Aotearoa. Haere mai and welcome. Please join us on this hikoi to better understand Arts Inside. In this episode, we meet Beth Hill, an art tutor at Northland Region Corrections Facility with more than 10 years' experience bringing the benefits of the arts to the tarei up there in the far north. Kia ora, Beth. Kei te pia koe. Kei te pai, Neil. Great to have you with us today. Thanks so much for sharing your time. You're so welcome. Well, let's start at the start. Let me ask you, how did you end up as an art tutor at the Northland Region Corrections Facility? I suppose I should start by saying that I've always been a lover of the arts and when I was at school it was the one thing that I was good at and unfortunately I was expelled from sixth form college and had to go and work to pay my rent so I spent years working in loads of different types of jobs and sadly I got a phone call from my dad and he told me he was dying of cancer and I went to visit him I think he was a bit worried about me and he said you know you need to go and revisit the arts it's where you shine and so I looked up art degrees and I applied to do my degree uh, took a little portfolio of some artwork along and they accepted me and I was so excited at the end Sandra Harvey from NAFA was looking for somebody to come in and work with you and she said are you interested and I was just straight away like yes so I went in and visited and I spent a good two or three hours in the art room and I was so overwhelmed that when I left, I cried in the car. And that was the start for me. And that was back in, I think it was 2013. So that was how I ended up at NAFA. Wow. That's, that's some journey. Thank you so much for sharing it. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Can you tell me about what it takes to work in prisons? I mean, it's such challenging work. I'd say, first of all, patience. I'm not a patient person. By my nature, I'm a very busy person. And so having to learn to slow down and that it's a large organization with lots of different people with lots of different roles, that to get anything happening, you've got to get everybody onto the same page as you. And one of the things that that also means is that you've got to be able to be a really clear communicator and be good at keeping communication up with massive amounts of people from the Tane that I work with who come to my classes to case managers to custodial staff to managers and it's quite hard to juggle all those balls so 
being quite organized is a good thing. And if you're not, having people who can assist you with that, and I do have someone who works um, for me, Scott, who is probably the most organized person on the planet. So that's something that's pretty important. You've got to be flexible. Flexibility is a massive thing because things can change on site in a moment. It could be that there aren't enough staff to, to assist you. It could be the unit is shut. We've had COVID. That has a massive impact. So flexibility is really important. It's understanding that because things can take a while to happen, you've got to allow for a larger amount of time in your day to deliver what you're expecting to do. So I tend to get to work quite early so that I've got time to plan and make sure that everything that's supposed to happen can. So that's important. And then the other massive thing is empathy. You've got to have huge amounts of that and be compassionate and understanding. That's really, really interesting, Beth. You say you went in there and you, you wouldn't have had your assistant to start with and you would have been learning who was who in that space and how it all worked. What was that like for you? If you're a good communicator, then it's fairly easy. But navigating all the different roles and understanding what people do, it is hard. It's understanding that some people will be singing from a different song sheet. So, for example, a case manager, their role's massive. They have to look after everything to do with the Tane that I'm teaching. So they have to ensure that their sentence plan is mapped correctly and that fitting it, the arts in is something that's actually going to be beneficial to the Tane I'm working with and that it doesn't interrupt maybe a criminogenic program. So sometimes relationships with case managers, if you get it wrong at the beginning, it can take a little while to earn that trust again. For me, at the beginning, it was easier as well because I was working for Sandra back then. And so I had uh, I had a boss, you know, essentially that uh, I could go to and say, am I, am I making a you know, the right moves here. Is this really what you want me to achieve? Is this something that's possible? Once I started working for myself on site and running the program, it was a little bit harder because sometimes you can be quite isolated in that role. And until I then was able to start employing people to support me, I worked a lot of hours just to build the program and increase the hours that were available. Those are the kind of things that can be problematic as someone who doesn't belong to a big organization. For me, it was a little harder working independently and not necessarily having supervision, for example, to ensure that you're looking after yourself as well as the Tane and not having people to unpack problems with. The nature of the work is very confidential. We have a code of conduct and we have to respect the confidentiality of our students, but also it's the victims of crime that we've got to keep in mind all the time when we're doing our work. So there's a huge amount of legislative stuff as well as being compassionate to all involved that we have to think about. So I think there are times when I know I would have benefited from having people to talk about things with, and now I do, it's so much better for me. It's really fascinating. If it's okay, I'm just going to ask a little clarifying question and then dive back into this. We spoke originally about Northern Regional Corrections Facility, and I just wanted to clarify that that is also known as NAFA Prison. Yes, sorry. Everyone, we all call it NAFA, but obviously NAFA is actually a settlement and a community. The prison is there. So yes, that is why we call it NAFA. All good. 
Now, you said Sandra was your boss when you first started. Could you clarify that role for us? Yeah, so Sandra Harvey was actually my glass tutor at North Tech, and she's someone that I had known for a number of years. And then, unfortunately, Sandra took sick and was unable to continue with her role as the contracted provider for the arts. And that's how I ended up stepping in and taking over that contract. Okay. Now, you've obviously had to align and grow in. I just want to hear about what it takes to do this role and what, what changes have occurred in you that have helped you along the way. It is hard because I do know that for some people, it's very challenging to think of people who are in prison having fun because by the very nature of them being placed in prison, there's this understanding that people should be miserable and unhappy. But prisons and corrections facilities are places of rehabilitation and relearning and reconnecting and re-engaging. One of the things that the whole of society and, and communities have a responsibility to do is to empower people in the care of corrections to reconnect in that way. I've worked with so many people who'd forgotten how to laugh, had forgotten how to find joy in anything. And once you see a fully grown man who's so unhappy and so miserable, filled with shame and guilt and disconnection, once you see them, you know, playing a, a silly game and roaring with laughter and connecting with the other people in the group, it's magic. Sometimes I do believe that moments of joy can extend into long periods of happiness and well-being and really well-being is essentially what creativity and corrections that's what it's all about one of the main things people see about the arts is that you have to be poor and hungry and struggling the struggling artist and so you speaking of joy and all of those remarkable transformational things you've just shared with us what does art really bring to the party curiosity it brings that's probably the most important thing so often the Tani I work with have come very often from impoverished backgrounds. They've been impacted enormously by issues within their communities, drugs, alcohol. And when we give them the opportunity to be curious, but also provide a safe space to do that, where everybody who's in it is working from the same page, is understanding that sitting in that space together, we can talk freely or just sit quietly, you know, and read or, or draw or dance or sing, that it's safe to do so. Because without that safety, the arts can be perceived as being really dangerous because they, you know, the, by the very nature of the arts, we protest, we advocate, uh, we want to make change. So by creating safe um, artistic and creative spaces within corrections facilities and prisons, we empower the Tani and Wahini that work within them to start viewing the world through a different lens, as I keep saying, safely, you know, so that they don't feel at risk. But also the magic thing is that we enable and empower them to take risks and those risks and that adrenaline and the endorphins that start flowing as a part of that process can become, well, can replace the previous things where risk-taking was part of an everyday life. Participating in the arts does that for all of us. It's that moment of when you share something you've made. That's a really important key part. Safe, creative risk-taking. Healthy outlets to challenge what's wrong in society. I think that's is absolutely on point and paramount. Uh, I think it's, it's something that you are clearly expressing, and it is 
from my position, crucial. I had a conversation with one of the drug and alcohol facilitators yesterday, and we were having a conversation about something very different about people taking driver's tests. And he said, everyone in the class, have you got a driver's license? Some put their hand up, some didn't. And he said, well, that's great. Let's look at you ensuring that your young people then get driver's licenses. And the impact of that was not what he expected. I think the Tane felt a little bit affronted by that. And we were discussing it and he asked me, why did I think that was? And I said, I think it's a fear of giving time because they're still caught up in a space where time is used for the things that are negative in their life. And if you have to think about giving time up to do something that's positive, that's going to benefit their, their family or even themselves, it's a really hard thing to do. By giving the Tani and Wahini a time slot to give themselves the opportunity to create, make, think engage is good training for on the outside because then maybe when they're out there and they're trying to find work and they're trying to feed their families and they're trying to pick up and put their lives back together it's quite hard to identify when they need time for themselves or how to give time to others constructively and I think that participating in arts programs gives the understanding that how important that is that time to sit and to learn maybe even how to share that with somebody else and give them the joy. So it's it's learning to give something to it. It's a real gift. The foundations of the program are for us, for myself and the Tani, it's always Fano, love, empathy, and gift. And the gift element is that we always talk about who are we making this for? And very seldom will the Tane say themselves, it's always going to be, I'm making this for my child. I'm making this for my mum, my best friend. And when I talk about gift, it's about honouring as well. So we're honouring maybe those that have passed on or those that have had a huge influence because not, not all the guys have somebody that they necessarily have as a support person but everybody we all will have had some person in our life that's inspired us or someone that we want to say thank you to and even if they've passed on or we don't even know where they are if we carry them in our hearts when we're making the work that it adds value to it and and meaning self-care what it seems that you're describing is the facilitation in the teaching to the Tane Wahine in the care of Arapautama, self-care, and how to take that time for themselves to be able to establish resilience and cushions of time that everybody needs, but not everybody takes. So can I ask, what is your self-care? Getting a good night's sleep, <laughs> which I've never been good at. My brain works 24 hours a day. So getting to bed early is a good one. I live in a beautiful place. Northland is so beautiful. But the thing that I love to do most in the whole world is I will go to the beach and I'll drive out there. And on the drive out there, I'll put some tunes on, wind the windows down. And sometimes I'll go at six in the morning. Sometimes I'll go later in the day. And I'll always get out the car and stand and look at the ocean. Look at that beautiful white beach, the blue water, even if it's a cloudy day, even if it's raining. And if I'm lucky enough to be able to go in for a swim, even when I'm thinking about the sharks, I will go in and I'll swim. And then I'll come out and just sit and sometimes take photographs, make art. Um, and I make 
I do lots of artwork at home. I don't share it with anyone very often. And I have a million projects I'm working on. And one day I will finish them all off and actually do something with them. So that's my self-care and spending time with my incredible kids. Self-care for artists is, is one of those things that requires a lot of discipline. I know as an arts lecturer, self-care is something I don't put as a priority, and I know I should. So I, I respect anyone that can. Yeah, I think it's hard. I know that there are times that I haven't, let's be honest. And I think for most creatives as well, we will have had long periods of time where we haven't. And we go into such dark places and then something happens and we come screaming out of the darkness and everything that we've been feeling comes bursting out and we start making work and being inspired. And that's, that's what happens to those Tane that I work with. They've been in a dark place for a long time and then boom, when they come screaming out into the light, the change is incredible to, to witness and to be lucky enough to witness and, and collaborate with them. Okay, fantastic. What I would really love to know, Beth, is... Why do you do what you do? Because I love doing it. I'll be honest with you. So many times I've thought about leaving the work. At times when things have been hard in my own life and I haven't felt that I'm doing enough, you know, but I love what I do. No day is ever the same. I've built so many strong relationships with the Tane that I work with. There's such an element of care and trust. And I can't imagine ever working anywhere else. There's so many... Tane I work with, they haven't really engaged with the arts and they'd say, I'm not creative, I can't do this, but that's what they've been hearing all their life. So when I see someone come into the space and they're a bit afraid and then they start to build relationships with myself and with the other Tane in the group and they start to open up and trust us and they start making and creating and I see them smile and I see them sometimes come in sad but share that with us and come to us and ask for advice and help. And we'll do the best we can to assist and maybe find ways to advocate for them, to support them in whatever's going on in their life. That's why I do it. It's a level of connection I've never, ever had. Powerful stuff. There's a toll that every job takes on a person. I wonder about the toll of being an arts and corrections provider. I understand that you wouldn't be doing it if the benefit didn't outweigh that toll, but would you be interested in describing that toll for us? Say I've got 20 men in a room. I might have at least six of those, at least, that will approach me with something that they need support or help with. And I'm not talking about how to draw a cat. It might be that they want to talk to me about the fact that they've been having a problem with their relationship or they're worried about their daughter or their or they're struggling up in the unit um, or with a relationship with an officer or their parole board's coming. So you have to be able to make time for all these conversations. And sometimes it's painful. At the beginning, it's really hard to leave your work behind when you first start working. But also, it can be just as hard when there are times when you check yourself because maybe you stop caring enough. The consistency is the most important thing in the role because you really need to if you say you're going to be there you've got to be there and if you just decide oh I need a mental health day today and I'm not going to show up that's going to impact all those Tane that are expecting to be there and expecting you to be there for them 
Beth, can you tell us about an experience that has had a massive impact on you, that has shaped your work? There's not one singular experience that I can say this happened, but when I first started working at the facility, we didn't really have Varno coming inside the wall. Prison walls are built not just to keep the Tane in, they're to keep people out. And Corrections has been going through a huge change over the last five years with Hokairangi. But we started that before Hokairangi at Nafa. Beth, can you explain what Hokairangi is? Yeah, it's a whole new approach to how the Department of Corrections out of Putama approach caring for the Tane Wahini, Mohiri, within the department. And so that's not just inside the walls of corrections facilities or prisons, that's out in the community as well. And the approach is a te ao Māori worldview, basically, of how people can be empowered to change, be empowered to become leaders, be empowered to partner with the Department of Corrections, be empowered to reconnect with their whānau, and be empowered to take control of their own well-being all through their own cultural lens. That's brilliant, Beth. How would you say that that has worked into what you were describing before as the one big thing? So the one big thing is that before Hokarangi, there wasn't as much Fano contact happening. You had visits and you would have, you know, a graduation at the end of a program, but not everybody had access to bringing Fano onto site. So when I started the Shakespeare Behind Bars program in 2015, probably the first year we didn't have a Fano event, but it was the thing that we all kept saying that we really wanted. We were making these these performances and we were sharing them with staff and we would share them with commissioners and we shared them with politicians, all sorts of very important people, but not the most important people of all, which was the families of the Tane who participate. And everything we were doing still from that point was still around gifting for Fano and loved ones. So... It is, I suppose it is one big thing that happened first. We organized a community and Fano event. And because those things weren't really happening, it took an awful lot of organization. For the site, it was a huge risk because it's always a risk when you bring community into the prison because we don't want people to go away and say, oh, they've got it easy in there because we've got to be really mindful of victims of crime. These people are in prison for a reason. We wanted to be able to present an opportunity for community and Fano to come in and witness the good work that was being done, but also to hopefully then invite them to say, well, we'd like to help. How can we help? How can we use this transformative creative process to reconnect and reintegrate and re-engage these Tane with the people that matter in the community? So we had this big Fano event. We had a wonderful day. We performed, we shared an art exhibition, everyone ate lunch together. It was a really beautiful, warm, empathetic and generous experience. And afterwards, when we um, broke everything down and we were discussing things, the Tane were telling me how the day went for them. One of the Tane said to me, we were stood there in the art room and I was showing this whole group of people my artwork and you were there with me and he said and then you got called away and at that moment I was really scared because it was the first time in 10 years I'd spoken to somebody who didn't work for corrections and I said how was it he said I was really afraid but then it was great because they were really kind to me and they wanted to talk to me and they were interested 
And I said, will you do it again? He said, hell yeah. That really pushed me to continue with those. And because it was so successful, the site allowed us to continue. And so we've had as regular as we possibly can Farno and community engagement events since 2016. It opened the doors back up. When people talk about Hokkaidangi and how the site's been doing those things since then, we started it way before. Fantastic. We've got to wrap up shortly, Beth, but there's a couple more questions I thought I'd shoot your way. What's one piece of advice you would give to anyone wanting to work in the arts and creations space? Okay. Be courageous, be consistent, and be compassionate. That's it. That's the one piece of advice I can give. Those are the key three things I think that you need to carry with you at all times. And it's hard, but if you can do that, I recommend that you do. I would say that, you know, 90% of the time things will go well for you. And the last question, what's coming up in 2024 for you? Well, on a personal level, my son's getting married, so I'm going to Bali which is fantastic. I'll be continuing with the Redemption Escape Artist Program. I have two programs running next year, and then that will see the end of my contract for that. It's been really exciting, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next year and how we can progress and move forward with the program and where that's going to go. But I'm also really excited. This is running into 2024. I've just started delivering art in the Remand space, and I am loving that. And in the intervention support unit, working with Santane, who are particularly vulnerable. And fingers crossed, that's all going to go swimmingly. And it's really, really exciting. It's challenging. I'm looking forward to seeing what the outcomes of that are. Beth, it has been a wonderful time talking with you. And you're such a toner for the sector and for those you serve. Thank you so much for your mahi in the space. Really, really grateful for your time here today. Thank you, Neil. It's been really good chatting to you. I could chat to you for ages. Good luck with the podcast for the future. Thank you very much for having me on. That's it for the first episode of Art Insight. Thanks for being part of this journey, Ben, and sharing your insight with us. And thank you to our listeners. Make sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. In our next episode, Wane Fletcher shares his stories about the impact of toy Māori, Māori arts, and reshaping the lives of the tāne he worked with as the principal advisor at Hawke's Bay Regional Prison. It's a conversation you don't want to miss. This podcast was written, edited, and produced by Iona McNaughton, Sophie McDonald, and myself, Neil Wallace. The title track is Halftime Groove by Andrew Dixon. Arts Inside supports an upcoming publication developed by Arts Access Aotearoa and funded by Manitou Taonga Ministry of Culture and Heritage in partnership with Arapautama Aotearoa, the Department of Corrections. If you'd like to learn more about this, email us at info at artsaccess.org.nz.